something quite interesting, which I really hope is not true here. But he said the pastoral family receives less ministry from the body of Christ than any other family. Now, I truly hope that's not true here. It's not true today because Jeff is sitting back there uh, to be ministered to by the word. And brother, thank you so much thank you, for brother. coming. And uh, we pray for you. If I don't knock something off getting off the platform here. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, David. All right. Well, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Luke chapter 5. That's where we're going to be at today. Luke chapter 5. So what we're going to be talking about today, as you can see on the screen, is how's a fisherman becomes a fisher of men. And so what we're going to be talking about is Jesus is going to be picking his team of disciples. And one in particular is going to be Simon, this fisherman. We're going to talk about, well, how do we choose a fisherman to do this task? So I want to take us back to get into the mood of this the sermon. I want to take us back to some of our memories when we were growing up and talk about how the world picks teams that we sort of res- we respond to. And the first team I remember when we were kids, and it doesn't matter when we were a kid. I know we all hit it at a different time. But we would play these games in school or in the neighborhood, games like dodgeball and kickball. And we had to have, like, all the kids, and they had to find their way on two teams. And so, really, you would have two captains almost, and the two captains would hopefully be of equal stature. And they would have all the kids, and they would start picking these kids for these teams. And usually how it went was the best kids, the most talented kids go first, and then we pick pick, pick, alternating picks until all the kids find a team. And I don't know how you remember it. Some some of us are better or lesser players, but I remember it like the best kids love these games. They love to be picked first because it made you feel good about yourself, right? Like I'm the best athlete. Everybody wants me on their team. Everybody chooses me. And then if you were, I guess, the, the lesser picks, the bottom of the picks, probably didn't like those games. I know a lot of kids who were really good in school, they just hated, hated gym class or PE class because these games reminded them of how good they weren't, how much you just had to be, end up on a team. And so that's how life goes on. And God keeps picking and choosing and we can go on and on. And one I'm going to talk about is when we're through school and we're ready to go to college or get a job, we want to pick a college. And so some of us pick where we want to go. And we find out that even though we may want to go to some schools that we want to go to, we have to get accepted in that school. And so those schools are picking on what? These colleges, they pick on who's the best, brightest. So whoever's got the highest GPA, whoever's got the best ACT scores, how they pick. And then when we get to the job market, we all need a job, right? And so we all want to pick the place we want to work, but we find out that that's not how it works. So we... So we apply for these jobs, we put in a resume, we interview, and guess what? They pick us, all right? They'll pick the ones with the most education, the ones with the best experience. And sometimes, I've seen this happen, the vice president, their son or daughter needs that job, and they don't have the best experience or the most education, guess what? They get that job. So, so that's how the world picks things, right? And so we want to talk about just how the world does it, but it's weird how every time the world does something, God's going to do it in a different way, doesn't he? And God's going to pick his teams. And we're going to find out that 
God not just does it differently, but he does it so differently than the world does. So we're going to talk a little bit about now Jesus is picking his team. He's picking these disciples here in Luke. And how's he going to pick this team? He's going to be the captain. He's going to be the one picking. He's going to be the one to tell them what they need to do. He's going to give them their task. And what's their task? So their task is going to be to send the message of the gospel, salvation to men and women throughout the world. That's going to be their goal. And the question we have to ask is, well, how's he going to pick this team? How's the world picked its team, and how's he going to pick his team? Is he going to pick the best and the brightest? It would make sense because you would want his, this team that's got this important task to do this. Is he going to pick the people who are the most popular? Makes sense. Pick somebody that's popular, they're going to want to follow them. Is he going to pick the most intelligent or the brightest? Or is he going to pick the most righteous? Or is he going to pick those who sin the least? So we're going to begin to see how's he pick. And the reason why this is important to us today is, even though this was 2,000 years ago, and we're not necessarily picking apostles anymore, but God is still adding people to his team. Amen? And, you know, the thing is, we do about the same task. Our goal is to send the message of Christ into the world that we know it. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, why would God choose me? Has he chosen me? We're going to talk about that a little bit too. And why would he choose me? So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts for this message, and we'll get into the text. Let's pray. Father God, I just um, I come to you, Lord, and I just thank you for your word. Lord, I just ask personally that, Lord, all the things that, that are in my life that make this hard for me today, Lord, I pray that you would calm and help me get through all this, all the, all the hang-ups, all the, the things that I have. Lord, I pray that you would help me get past those today for this moment. Give me what I need. I know you can. And God, I just pray, we praise to you. This, this church praises you because we want to be on your team, Lord. So many of us belong, want to be on your team. We long for this. And God, help us today to see what your team looks like. Help us to understand how to respond when you reveal yourself to us on this team. God, help us to have a heart to want to serve you, to show your glory, to want to be a part of spreading your salvation to this world. Would you help us today, Lord, from the word? by your Holy Spirit, to learn what it might like to live on our day. And Lord, we just thank you for these things, and I pray them in your name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to turn to, we're going to notice, is Jesus chooses the unlikely. Jesus chooses the unlikely. So I'm going to read the scriptures a section at a time, so we'll just go through it first here. So I'm going to start in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that being Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, 
We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let the nets down. So a couple things we're going to note here real quick. So Jesus has all this crowd around him, right? And, and it would make sense. He's a masterful teacher. He's done a lot of signs and wonders. People want to be around this Jesus. And so he's going to use the crowds for his call, and he needs a place to be. He needs like a stage. So he's going to get on a boat and set out the boat a little bit so they can sort of have a stage or a place to people can hear and understand what he's saying and see him. And the first thing we're going to see here is Jesus sets his attention on this fisherman, on Simon Peter. And so the question we're going to ask is, well, why is he setting his attention on him? Okay, This is unlikely, man. We're going to break into why is he unlikely. So a couple things to note. You don't have to write these things down, but you can if you want. This isn't the first time that Jesus has interacted with Simon at all. The first time we can see in John chapter 1, verse 41, He's interacting with him and his brother, his brother Andrew, Simon's brother Andrew, introduces Jesus to him. And he looks at Simon and he goes, you're going to be a Cephas one day. It's an odd way of talking to a person. It's going to be as the rock, it's going to be an identity he's going to be grabbing later in life. And the second time we see in the, in the, in the Gospel of Luke is he's, he's healing, he's, Jesus is revealing himself, his ability to heal the body. And so he, there's this woman that's very ill. And he heals this woman. And the person that he healed was Simon's mother-in-law. And he had a front row seat to this. So Jesus is revealing his ability to heal the body. And then the third one here we're going to sort of get into right now is Jesus is revealing himself again here in chapter 5 with Simon. And the thing we have to ask ourselves is why would he put his attention on this fisherman, this unlikely person? So as we describe what fishermen were, they're ordinary men. Right? They're hardworking people, worked on the land. There was nothing special about them. They sort of would be what we call blue-collar workers in our day today. They're not highly educated people. There's nothing that them that stands out. They're not highly regarded people. They're not overly religious people at all. So why would we be choosing a fisherman if you think about the task they're going to be doing? They're not necessarily going to be on boats and doing things as they send this message out to the world they're going to see in the New Testament church. And so the other thing we have to ask about, well, maybe there was something about Simon that stood out. Well, he's special. He's a special fisherman. I want him. And so as we read the scriptures from here on out and we sort of see his interactions, we can say this about Simon, not to put him down, but I guess he would say he wasn't the most wise person, was he? Right? Jesus was constantly having to talked to him, and he just was slow to understand things. He was almost the last person to understand things that Jesus would be teaching. And was constantly having Jesus look at him and be like, well, that's not exactly what I meant. We didn't get that exactly right. He was always somebody who was uh, quick to say things, right, but not well thought out, right? Sort of rash, wanted to be boastful, if you will. So he was an unlikely person to pick, was he not? But here's the thing. As unlikely as he was to be chosen for this team, that's what Jesus was doing. And he wasn't just calling him for this team, but he was actually going to call him to salvation. We're going to get into that in a minute. But here's the thing that we need to understand. So Simon Peter was being called by Jesus for this task, and there wasn't anything that he brought to the table that Jesus needed. He wasn't being brought because of any talent he had, any ability he shown, anything that stood out. 
He was the most unlikely person as you can get on this team. And so that truth, if we think about that today, that should humble us and give some of us hope. If we think back to the dodgeball kickball analogy in our lives as adults, some of us, some of us, um, I mean, not us maybe, hopefully not us, but some people, they think that the things that we have would be what? God would want me on his team, right? Some of us come from good families. Some of us are good, well-educated. Some of us have money. Some of us are popular. Some of us are handsome and beautiful. We have things, and sometimes it sort of tricks you into thinking, well, God could use me, and that's why he would want me to be on his team. We need to be humbled by this fisherman today. Because even though we have natural talents, and these are all blessings, some of these are blessings, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, but when we think that God really could use me and needs me, we're wrong. It's a wrong state of mind for us to be at. We need to be humbled by this fisherman, this candidate he chose. And for some of us, you know, we're not as confident. We're sort of like the bottom of the kickball team, right? We think, well, why would God choose me? Maybe you don't come from good family. Maybe you just don't, you know, you don't feel like you measure up differently to the world around you. Feel like you're a little bit left out. Feels like maybe God, when he, if he would, could save you. It's out of pity. It's not because he would want us. But listen, you need to take heart. We should take heart. Jesus calls this lowly fisherman to this task calls him to this task to, to send the message of gospel of salvation to the world, to use him for his glory. And God's still doing that today. Jesus picks people, unlikely people, to do extraordinary things. We need to be, we need to have our confidence in him, not in us. Amen. So the next thing we're going to, the next truth we're going to look at too, let's look at this. This is important too. Jesus chooses the unlikely, yes. But Jesus chooses the unworthy. We're going to be here for a while. So let's read the scripture. We're going to repeat uh, verse 5. So we'll start at verse 5 here. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled the boat so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at this catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus calls the unworthy. So what's unworthy in this? Let's sort of, let's sort of get into this a little bit. First thing we need to see is, Part of being unworthy is we have to see what is worthy. And Jesus reveals who he is right here. He is God in flesh. And so this fish catching, we're going to talk about this fish, this fish catch, this miracle, if you will. We're going to break into this a little bit. So Jesus is revealing who he is right now. And so to, to give a little context of the, the, the miracle of the fish or the catch of the fish, I don't, if you think it was a miracle, I don't know. But here's what was happening. So to add even more to what the story has already told us is in those days, fishing is done at night. All right. So during the day, 
the, the sun sort of heats the water and the fish go lower and lower and lower. That's where the fish are at. So it makes it harder to catch fish during the day. So you fished at night when the water's cooler. So when you throw your nets over, you're going to be easier to catch the fish. So they had been fishing all night, and they caught nothing. And they didn't catch nothing because they were bad fishermen. I think this was, this was sovereignly chosen by God. We're not catching fish today because I'm going to be catching a man here in a minute. And Jesus is going to be revealing he is sovereign over creation. So watch this. So, so, we, so, we hear, so now that we know this is going to happen, so this is the, they had caught nothing all night. They were in the day. They were washing their nets. They were done with the day. And Jesus looks over and says, hey, Simon Peter, I need you to throw your nets over the other side for a catch. And so this carpenter's telling this fisherman how and when and how to do the fish, how to catch the fish. And you can sort of see a response. It was, we toiled all night, we took nothing, but at your word, I will let down your nets. Sort of like a grudging kind of obedience kind of thing, right? Sort of feels like when, when I was a kid and my parents needed me to do dishes, they're like, okay, I'll do it if you say so. Right? Out of a disrespectful tone, if you will. But he did it anyway. And so he throws his nets over the side. And so immediately these fish come hurling into the nets to the point that the nets were breaking. And so here we see Jesus is showing himself a different side of himself. He is showing he is sovereign over creation. This isn't omnipotence. This isn't that Jesus knew that there would be at 3 o'clock in the afternoon a bunch of fish are going to be flying through here. That's not what it is. This is omnipotence. This is him showing he is all-powerful. And so this isn't really what this text is about, but this is important. It's always good for side notes. We need to believe in Genesis. Amen? We need to believe that God created all of us, created everything that we have, everything in the world. He created it. We have a lot of theories today of how it, they think it is, but we need to believe in the fullness of the Word of God. And so these fish, they had no choice but to do what Jesus wanted. That's the miracle that we see. And you see this explained here in Colossians 1.16. We'll read it on the screen. For by him and all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created, here we go, through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's Jesus. So we know Jesus was in the beginning with God. And so all things were created, and these fish were created, the waters were created, everything was created. And he is showing who he is. He is sovereign over creation. And this miraculous catch of fish occurs, and it changes these, these men that are watching this happen. He's showing himself he's more than a teacher. He is God in flesh. So the next thing we're going to talk about, well, how was the second response? Jesus chooses the unworthy, but now Simon Peter has to recognize Jesus for who he is. You know, part of being unworthy, God always, God displays who he is, but a lot of people don't recognize God for who he is, amen? A lot of people don't see God for what he is, but he's revealing himself. But we need to know that he's worthy, and now we're going to talk about we need to recognize who he is. And part of recognizing who he is is we recognize who we are. We're going to see that in this, in this, in this man. So Simon, a couple of things to note here. 
earlier, what was he, what was he calling Jesus? He was calling him master, right? Verse 5, he's calling him master. That's a term of respect. It's a good thing to call Jesus master. And so he was being respectful to Jesus. He was a master teacher, did, did wonders and heals. And he was looked at as a real, I guess he was looking at him as a, as a real a man to be respected. But look here in the next verse, in verse 8. What's he calling? He calls him Lord. His tone changes immediately when he sees who he is dealing with. He's not just a master. He's not just a good teacher. He is Lord over everything. Changes him. And I see in the verse here as well, so he's, Simon Peter falls at his feet of Jesus. Right? And that's a position, when, when we're at someone's feet, that's a position of submission. That's a position that I don't belong up here with you. I belong on a different level. It's almost like you're waving the white flag. You're like, I submit, I give up. You're the one, I'm not. We see his position. But watch what he says. Watch what he says. This, tell me if this isn't unworthy to you. So he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So he says to Jesus, just, just go away. Just leave. Just go. Not like go away like I just want you to get out of here. It's go away. It's like a painful kind of go away because I don't deserve to be in your presence. He realizes that he doesn't deserve to be in his presence. But here's the other part, and this is where we're going to sit out to do sit out today as well. So far, I am a sinful man. So this word sinful is a word that we, we, we say a lot. And so, again, I'm not a Greek scholar. But anyway, the word is homatolos, and it is translated sinful, devoted to sin. That's a deep thing to say about yourself, isn't it? You know, sometimes we, when we use the word devoted, I would say, well, I'm devoted to my wife, or I'm devoted to my husband. Or we're devoted to our kids. Or Tom Brady's devoted to football. We, he's, he's all over the place. And so devotion sort of has this thing to, like, this is the first thing in my life. This is the most important thing. And so everything revolves around this thing I'm devoted to. But when you say that you're devoted to sin, that's different than the way we approach God sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we approach God and we say this, I'm not perfect, I make mistakes, I got some hang-ups, I got some things I don't do too well, but that's not really, that doesn't capture what we are, right? Like, we are sinful people, we are unholy people, and he recognizes who he is, he recognizes that he is devoted to something, but he's not devoted to God, and he admits as much. Look in Luke 5.32 on the screen. So Jesus says this. This sort of articulates it so well. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but I come to call the sinners to repentance. You know, folks, th those of us who feel like we're pretty good or we're not so bad, Jesus didn't come for those. He comes those who recognize their position in front of him today. He calls them to repentance. And you know, this is the thing. This is what it looks a lot like at conversion, does it not? It looks like this, and it should look like this. We should see a Jesus high and lifted up and holy and righteous. 
And we should see ourselves as a sinful person in need of a Savior. That's really what we need to be. Uh, th- I'm going to share a, just a personal testimony. This is really not mine. This is my wife and mine. This isn't just me. So one day, one of our kids comes to us. I'm not going to name the kid. I won't name the, the pastor of the church because we've got a lot of kids and we've been to a lot of pastors. Uh, one of our kids comes to us, and this child says, I want the sin out of my heart. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do this thing, right? That's what we want as a parent, right? This is the thing we want. It's more, it's more important than touchdowns and first downs and straight A's and all the things that we, dresses and proms and graduations. This is what we want. We want our children to be the Lord's. So we call the pastor and we, we set up the, the meeting and you know, we're in there with the pastor, and the pastor's doing the right thing. He's asking a lot of questions and trying to, let's just get into what this is about. And I'm sitting, and some of the questions come, and I'm like, oh, gosh, that wasn't exactly right. But you know what? We'll figure that out. We'll figure that stuff out later, right? Some of these questions that we're answering. And, and we ask the child to step out, and, you know, we're sitting there with the pastor. And the pastor says, hey, I don't think it's time yet. I don't think this is what salvation is today. And that was hard. That's not, the, that's not what you want to hear, right? And so it's funny, like my wife and I, our personalities come out, and, and she's, she's going to communicate a lot, and I'm just going to stop communicating altogether. That's just our way we deal with friction and stuff. And I'm sitting over there, and I'm sort of disappointed and a little bit. like I'm like, I can't, this isn't what I want it to be. And so in that time... The only thing I could really muster up sort of like this grudgingly obedience thing is I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with this, but we'll go with it. I don't want my child to be frustrated and confused because this is hard. But because God put you in my life, we're just going to go with this today. We're going we're gonna to submit to your authority because I must. we believe in Jesus' authority over salvation. We believe in it too right now as far as submission to the church. It's funny, like Kenny and I leave and time passes and time passes and we're, we're just doing what we do at home. And you know, that pastor was right. He was right. We weren't a, we were in a position of unworthiness. And the reason why I bring that up is, one, let me say this on a side note. It's good to have somebody who loves the word of God more than they love you. Amen. We need that. Like, I needed that. I didn't, I couldn't see it. I didn't maybe want to see it. But, but we needed this for this. The reason why I bring this up is this way. Salvation, some people look at it like this, right? We see this so much. And we all know somebody or somebody's. It's just like this. I did this thing when I was a kid or maybe a teenager. I prayed this prayer which is nowhere in the Bible that I can see. I went to the rally. I went to the revival. I went up front. I believe in the historical fact of Jesus dying on the cross. And I believe that that occurred like a historical event, and I want to go to heaven. But what's weird, none of that's wrong, but what's weird is 
no mention of shame and guilt and brokenness over who we are. And we hear that testimony time and time again, right? And time passes and time passes and time passes and decades pass and you look back on that and they don't look like Jesus. They can't forgive like Dave talked about last week. They don't have no forgiveness for things. They don't look like the fruits of the Spirit. They don't, they're bitter, they hold on to things. Living more for this side of eternity than that side of eternity. We see that time and time again. And here's the thing. In our hearts, it looks like people put their, they hang their hat on that and say, that is salvation to me. But we don't have unworthiness about us. Friends, let's say this. We need to have an unworthiness in our testimonies, in our salvation. We need to know that we're unworthy in front of God. Amen? In our testimonies, as we talk to our, our families and our friends about this, has to have a testimony of unworthiness of who we are. We lack that so much today, do we not? Amen? I hope we can change in that. We are unworthy people. We need to be unworthy like this man. We need to have a heart that's unworthy. And even if we're well past salvation, redemption, we still are just as unworthy today as we ever were when we were saved. Amen? So let's finish to this, this third this third choice, this third, there's the third part, excuse me. Jesus chooses the unlikely. Jesus chooses the unworthy. And Jesus chooses us for an unparalleled task. Let's read this final verse. And Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought down their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him couple things to note. So before he was saying, Simon was saying, just go away, right? Depart, leave me alone. Just leave. And notice this, Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that comment. He just moves on. Jesus isn't worried about what's happened. He's worried about what's going to happen. We need to be like that. I need to be like that. And also notice this, he also doesn't acquiesce to him at all. He doesn't say, well, you're not that bad. Don't beat yourself up too much over this. He lets him go all the way to the bottom of his brokenness. You know, and he says, don't be afraid. And you know what? At that place, at the feet of Jesus, at the brokenness of a sinner, that's the best place you can be. That's the best place he could have ever been. Because now he's not his own anymore. He has now belonged to the, to the Lord. And so notice this. So Simon Peter immediately he stops running from God and he just he sees this task, this, this catching of men we're going to get into in a moment. He sees that as worthy, but everything else that he was doing was unworthy. Immediately they follow him. They see their life as unworthy. They leave it all behind. They leave all their dreams, all their thoughts, all their plans, all their hopes, everything behind, and they just followed him. But watch this. Jesus says, from now on, you will be catching men. So Jesus isn't hoping this is going to unfold. He knows what's going to unfold. So what we're going to do is look at this in Acts chapter 2. 
So now Simon Peter is a fisher of men. Let's read it together. So this is after Jesus has already died and rose again from the cross. And he's ascended to heaven. Now he's still with him spiritually, but he's no longer with him physically. Watch what this man says. Watch what he does. And watch his testimony that he's talking about in Acts. Is it a whole lot different or it's more an apt to be very similar to what it was in Luke 5? Starting in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That looks pretty unworthy. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, for you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. Pretty unlikely. For everyone whom the Lord our God, our God calls to himself. Verse 40. And with, a, with many words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. It's this crooked generation. This isn't worth it. What, what, what you're about isn't worthy either. It's crooked. It's devoted to sin. It's messed up. It's wrong. It's the same thing. And watch this. So those who received his word and were baptized, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Jesus calls the shot. Luke 5, he was just as sovereign over Simon Peter as he ever was over here in Acts. This man who before had to be changed is now fishing for men. He's fishing for 3,000 souls this day. As we finish up here, I'm just going to ask this question of us. I don't, I don't know where you're at with your journey. Some of us may still be on the boat with Peter, Simon Peter not trusting Jesus yet, maybe need to get in the water, if you will. And if you haven't, and some of us know people who haven't done that, right? People are still on the boat, haven't trusted Jesus. But if that's who we are, we need to understand Jesus calls the most unlikely people, even people that we think aren't worthy of salvation. They're unlikely. It's not our place. It is the Lord's place to call what he calls and you know what? It doesn't depend on what we bring to this. God gives us everything we need. Everything we have is his. There are no limits to the people that he uses. But here's the thing. We need to have an unworthiness of our heart. Amen? A heart that sees God as high and holy and lifted up. That sees the same thing as our life as not so worthy. The things that we want aren't the same things. They're not, they're not as worthy as they should be. But his is. His call is. His task is very worthy. We need to have that. Some of us in here aren't really on that mission, are we? We're not on task. Because we think that the things that we're doing are the things that are worthy. We need to change in that heart, do we not? We need to have a change that leaves our personal desires and takes up our cross for Jesus. As we read and respond to this, let's, let's take this in our thoughts and prayers with us this week. Let's just think about the unlikeliness of who we are 
the unworthiness of who we are and the unparalleled task of what he has for us. Let's go to the Lord prayer. Dear Lord, I just praise you for today, Lord. I thank you for your, your mercy and grace. Lord, I thank you and praise you for using sinners like us. You gave us a, a salvation. You let us spend eternity with you. And Lord, we just thank you for calling people like us unlikely people to be a part of your plans. I don't know why you would pick us, but you do. You choose us and you give us and you give us the blessings and you choose us and you give us everything in your plans. And Lord, we just pray that we come to you as unworthy people. Unworthy people that are lost and hopeless outside of you. God, I know you also call us to an unparalleled task, Lord. And we thank you for giving us a worthy task to live for and to do for. To go fish for other people that are unlikely and unworthy to come to your church. God, help us to see how worthy you are compared to what we are. Lord, open our eyes to all the excuses and the doubts that we come up with, Lord, in your, in your presence. Help us to see your mission. Help us to repent of who we are of the sins in our lives where we don't do the things that you need us to do. We don't see you as so worthy. We see the things we do as okay. Help us to change our heart. Help us to live an, unlike, an unparalleled task for you. Help us to see that as something we want. And Lord, I just pray that in your name. Amen. All right, as we come to our monthly celebration of this table, we are, I'm especially grateful today. Thank you, my brother. Are you, that you saw your unworthiness at one point? That's what the remembrance is about. I would invite you, because it is a table for believers, I would invite you that if you've realized today, for the first time, that you couldn't make it to God on your own, but it was only because of Christ. And you, you did business with Christ where you are. You're welcome to this table too. Because it is a table of remembrance. As Sonny's going to come and prepare um, this up here. Just take a moment. And if you haven't already, thank God for the truths that you've just heard. That he called the unlikely, the unworthy, and has invited us to an unparalleled task. I invite you that as you serve yourself here in a moment, you also enter into the joy of your Lord who gave himself for you. When you are ready, you may serve yourself.